0: The topic I have, sometimes, you know, we we say, what should we use as a topic? Because there are so many different things that could be used as a topic. And the one that kind of settled with me was, watch your steps. Watch your steps. I'm going to begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. And I'll just read these verses to you. It says, watch your step when you go to the house of God. Offering to listen is better than fools offering sacrifices because they don't discern whether or not they are doing evil. Don't speak impulsively. Don't be in a hurry to give voice to your words before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So i want going to share a little bit this morning about several different things. There are four different areas that we'll share in, and then I want to bring you a short, very short little video clip that I feel led to share with you this morning. And the first one we're going to talk about this morning is the importance of praising the Lord, praising the Lord. So we're going to begin with some passages of scripture on praise the Lord. And these are all part of watching our steps. All of these are are kind of watching our steps in terms of where we stand, what our position is, and the kinds of things that um, are essential in our walk with Christ. So the first one is to praise the Lord. The second one is to choose the good. Always choose the good. The third one is to forgive. 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 And the fourth one we'll talk about this morning is, is our foundation in terms of what are we standing on. What are we standing on? And that brings us back again to watch your step. Watch your step. Make sure you're standing on something very, very solid. Psalm 150. It, say, it begins with, let everything praise the Lord. Let me read these uh, verses, the entire Psalm, six verses. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the heavens of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to the abundance of His greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Anybody have a trumpet? Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and uh, dance. Praise Him with stringed and wind instruments or flutes. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Now, here we come again. You see, somebody said, and that would probably be me, somebody like myself with sensitive hearing, <laughs> would say, I don't like loud cra- clashing cymbals. <laughs> My dad, if he were here, he would say, oh, turn that off, turn that down. I don't like those loud clashing cymbals. But the point of it is, that everything, praise the Lord, even loud, crashing, clashing cymbals, praise the Lord. And then the summation of it is, that everything that has breath and every breath of life, praise the Lord. Then it says, praise the Lord, or it ends with the word hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. So this is the first thing we'll look at this morning is the importance then that everything that has breath that includes us that includes everything that we use in our hands that includes musical instruments of all kinds everything that has breath let it praise the Lord. Then the second thing is to choose the good. I'll read a verse from Jeremiah chapter 6. It says thus says the Lord, stand stand by the roads and look and ask for the eternal paths where the good old way is, then walk in it. I've shared with you a number of times that my grandmother, when she first came into a gospel meeting many years ago, And she, of course, became the spiritual matriarch of our family without any question. But when she first went into a gospel meeting, and she had a supernatural experience there where the invitation was given at the end after listening to the gospel message. And her reason for going to the meeting in the first place was she was very concerned about the children and her family. And she had come through a very difficult family herself growing up. And there were a significant number of very violent actions that had occurred within her own family and her family members. She came from a very violent family. And she saw her little ones come into the world and were growing and she didn't want them to walk in any of those ways that her family had walked in. And so her reason for going was to basically her love for her her children, her family. So she saw like a telescope, and it was at the altar, and she saw this. This is the way, walk ye in it. And she knew it was her invitation for her to rise from her seat and to go to the altar, because it was, this is the way, walk in it. So this passage in Jeremiah, it says, stand by the roads and look and asks for the eternal paths. There are paths that are eternal. There are always good paths, true paths. So you stand and you look. There's certain paths that we are just intended to walk on and take. It says, where the good old way is, then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And this, of course, was the judgment against Israel because they had rejected those paths. These are the words through the prophet Jeremiah. So it's let first of all, we are called to praise the Lord in all times, in all things, with everything that we have, that it would be dedicated to the praise of God, the praise of the Lord. We're responsible for our choices and always choosing the good path, always the good path any number of paths, but to choose the good old eternal paths and you'll find rest for your souls. The third thing we'll look at this morning together is the importance of forgiveness and to forgive, to forgive. This may play, this may be a much more significant area than we know, the importance of forgiving. i read a few verses in Mark 11 and 25. Jesus said, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Just leave it. It says, In order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. And Jesus said that there's a correlation between our willingness to forgive others and the Father's willingness to forgive us. And that if we don't forgive, then we will not be forgiven. He went on and he said, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. Well, what does this mean? and What would be, um, what would be areas of application for this kind of forgiveness and to forgive, a forgiving spirit? I'm going to read uh, now some words written by Luke. These involve the crucifixion and the Lord Jesus being taken to Golgotha and placed upon the cross and how he was despised and made fun of. And you know he was wearing this crown of thorns. And this is the reason why uh, some time ago I wove those thorns. We, When we bought this property... We didn't know it had a thorn tree on it, but it has a marvelous thorn tree right here. I don't know how many thorn trees there are on St. Joseph Island. I haven't seen one any place else, but there it is. There it is. And I know that it's a thorn tree because sometimes in the summer and the leaves, the branches come down a little bit. And if I'm out there on a lawnmower then I'll be reminded in a hurry that it's a thorn tree and there's the branch that I, that I cut and weaved into a crown of thorns. And that's what was placed on Jesus in a mock ceremony having to do with the fact that he would be the king of the Jews. Well, you're a king, you must have a crown. or well, we'll put a crown on you. And they took the crown of thorns. They took the thorns like that and they just jammed it down onto his, onto his head, onto his top of his head. And the thorns penetrated and the blood began to course down over his face. And when he, he was crucified with two thieves, as you remember, one on either side, one was railing against him And the other, of course, said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come in your kingdom, remember me. And you remember Jesus said to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Like not not sometime in the future, but this day you will be with me in paradise. And most of the time when they were crucified, they would be on the cross for several days. They could linger between, before dying, they would linger there on the cross, suffering in extreme agony for several days. And you remember how the Sabbath was coming, special Sabbath day was coming. And so they broke the legs of the two offenders, the two thieves. And when they came to Jesus to break his legs so that he would die early before the end of the day, they found that he was already dead. And that's when the Roman soldier pierced him with, with the spear and the blood and water gushed out. Well, before that, he said this, when he's on that cross. Let me read this to you. And when they came to the place which is called the skull, the Latin is Calvary and the Hebrew is Golgotha. There they crucified him and along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus prayed, I mean he'd been spat upon he'd been all these things people had lied about him he was in extreme pain and agony and the burden that he carried in terms as the sin bearer was something that we don't have words to describe it says in Jesus prayed Father forgive them for they know not what they do they're doing this but they don't really understand what they're doing, so Father, forgive them now there's one area of this area of forgiveness that I feel inclined to maybe search out a little bit this morning with you, and it has to do with the body of christ the the church, uh, the ecclesia, the special called out ones. I know that uh, over the years, even here in this place, we have rubbed shoulders, we have fellowshiped with people from different perspectives and backgrounds uh, over the years. We're at a place now where there's a significant amount of suspicion with regards, there always has been, but I think it's true now that there's a significant amount of suspicion concerning those who believe differently than perhaps we do. It's no secret that there's been now for hundreds of years, if not thousands, areas of insight in one part of the body of Christ that other parts of the body of Christ do not have. It seems to be that, um, you know, it says, the scripture says that we have a treasure in earthen vessels. And we see the, the treasure, but we also see the earthen vessel. We see the flesh, we see the frailty. And I'm not going to talk about specific denominations, but I just want to say that if you go through the list of different denominations and their origins and how they came to be, you'll find that almost without exception, there was a certain truth, a certain kernel of truth that was uh, you know, that was taken and embraced. And then after a period of time, they began to uh, fellowship around that particular truth. And sometimes there was a a blindness, inability to see other truths. Whereas another group of people would find another area of truth and they would begin to encamp, set up their encampment around that truth. And they would develop an organization and every time would develop uh, what we call denomination. And there would be certain emphasis that one would have and the other wouldn't have. Now, I have uh, shared here, I remember a number of years ago, I shared one morning, I shared something from uh, William Branham. And I know that there were those who were offended by that. Offended because William Branham, because they had been exposed to information about William Branham that was negative. And they felt that something about, because I was sharing something about what William Branham had said that I believe was true. But somebody took exception to that because they had associated the name William Branham with error, and significant error. So how could anybody then use his name in something that was good? Well, one of the things that, and I don't want to talk about myself, but one of the things that I have always, I believe, been called to do from the very beginning was to walk outside denominationalism. I have never, never, since I have recommitted my life to Jesus, I have never affiliated myself exclusively with a denomination. Now, I know that there are risks to that. Some people call that being a lone ranger. I don't refer to it that way, but I do say that because of that, I believe I've been able to see significant areas of of good bible teaching and strong biblical emphasis in various denominational groups and yet at the same time i see weaknesses now if someone would have would say now do you believe everything that brother branham said no i do not no i do not do you believe that uh, serpent seed do you believe in some of the other teachings of Brother Branham were absolutely true and biblical and I say no I find no evidence of them being biblical but there are many other things that William Branham said and I still read various things that he said many other things that he said that I believe were good and right now I want to reserve the right to myself to be led of the Holy Spirit and to be led of the word to the best of my ability without being led by any individual and I don't want to exclude people I don't want to just, you know, absolutely just shrivel up and, and close my ears the moment that a particular name is used. I don't want to do that. I will not do that. Ever will do that. Now, the thing of it that happens with us most often is when we get to this place where we sort of then say we have to walk away from that because somebody used a name or referred to a teaching of somebody that is discredited in their mind, is that that individual will go out and expose themselves invariably to the influence of others. And when they go out and expose themselves to the influence of others that in their mind are credible, they may be exposing themselves to other error as well. Because there's a certain kind of attitude in that that is not right. Right. And there's a certain element of unforgiveness and an unwillingness to forgive. Let me give you another example. Uh, while I was, and I hadn't intended on saying this, but there was a, there was a man who uh, associated with William Branham from about 1947 to about 1954. And his name, he was probably, he was uh, born in Saskatchewan, Western Canada. And he traveled with William Branham in the Crusades. And at that time, during that period of time, they had tens of thousands of people coming to the Branham meetings. This man's name, he was a great preacher. He was very gifted as a preacher. In fact, you would find very few any more gifted as a preacher than he is. And he was. And his name was Ern Baxter. Ern Baxter. Now, he traveled with Brother Branham, and he had many conversations with Brother Branham about some of the teachings that Brother Branham had. And he said to him, I don't believe you're right in this. I believe you're wrong in this. And finally, in about 1954, in that area, Ern Baxter left his association with William Branham. Now, when I read that, and I hear that, and when I read the various positions of the two, I... I I can understand Ern Baxter making that decision. I can understand that. You say, do you think he made the right decision? It's his decision to make. But I can certainly support that decision. I understand it because I believe that some of the emphasis and some of the teachings that came through Brother Branham were in fact not supported by the best biblical evidence. Now, When Ern Baxter was asked about William Branham, he said this. He said, in areas of his gifting, Brother Branham, in the area of his gifting, which he said he had a strong word of knowledge, he said, I saw that operate thousands and tens of thousands of times over that about a six-year span. And he said it was never wrong one time. Now, the ability of William Branham in the gifting of a word of knowledge, was unparalleled. It's unparalleled. Ern Baxter said, the problem that Brother Branham had is that he did not remain in the center of his calling, but that he wanted to teach. He loved the word, and he wanted to teach the word. But Ern Baxter said, he wasn't called to teach the word. That was his view. Then Ern Baxter went went on to say, because he came through Pentecostalism and he was involved actually in the early years, a little bit involved, in the latter rain movement. But it got to a period of time. I hadn't intended on saying all these things, but I think it's okay. It got to a period of time because we're talking about forgiveness, the attitude of forgiveness. You see, we can shut out people. Just like I said to you, there was a certain singer that I tended to shut out and I should not have. Should not have. So it got to a period of time with the Latter Rain Movement. If you go back to the origins of the Latter Rain Movement, beginning in a a Bible college in Western Canada many years ago, you know, it was a tremendous outpouring and manifestation of the power of God. It wasn't the power of the adversary. It was the power of God. It was genuine and legitimate. But it got to the place where even within the Pentecostal churches, the Pentecostal churches were very reluctant to receive that kind of influence. And they began to shut it down and shut it out. And they got to a place where if there was a pastor who was uh, supporting the latter rain movement, they would not fellowship with him anymore. They would stop fellowshipping. Ern Baxter was one of those men in the early years who was uh, supportive of the, the early part of the latter rain ministry. But in all of these things, Ern Baxter, I want to describe him if you're not familiar with Ern ba- Baxter. Earn Baxter is a man of superior intellect. He's a man of superior intelligence. He's a man, theologian. He's a theologian by nature. And formal education, he did not finish high school for, as far as formal education. But he began to study and consume information he read voraciously and he he read the best uh, publications going back over the history of the church and he became he 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 actually obtained a doctorate but you see he was a man of tremendous um, capacity as a theologian but then a little bit later on in his in his ministry he began to associate with a group of men who began to publish a magazine called the New Wine Magazine. And those men then, they kind of gathered around each other and supported each other. I believe there were four or five of them. And they supported each other and they had the view that the reason why ministers were running into problems, like Brother Branham they believed had, and others, many others had, is because they were alone and by themselves. And they had blind spots that were not being supported by others. So they believed in a plurality of ministry. And it led to the what we refer to today as the shepherding movement. Now the shepherding movement became very popular for a period of time, but then after a while, and I would even say to you to this very day, if you said that you were an advocate of the shepherding movement, there would be people in the Christian community who would say, Well, I think we'll not listen to them anymore. You see what I'm saying? It, what, it, it's it's always this way it goes around like this all the time that there's an inability to receive from one another without shutting people out when we see something in them with which we dis- disagree and is is it good to be able to disagree with something I say yes I say yes it is good because we're not designed and intended to follow individual personalities we're not no matter who the person is but there has to be a there needs to be a spirit of forgiveness in terms of frailties or weaknesses there needs to be a desire to pray for if we feel that someone has moved into an area where they're vulnerable we need to have an attitude to pray for them and if there's something in the teaching or the way in which they're practicing their christianity that we can't support, then we shouldn't support it. But we should be able to not support something that we believe is not quite right without shutting something out and shutting down. Because we may be shutting out a brother and shutting down a sister. And nobody is more naturally inclined to that kind of thing than am I. Nobody is more naturally inclined to that than I am. But I see it as a problem. You see what I'm I'm trying to say? We should not be that way. But we should be discerning. Can you have both? Yes, we must have both. I don't expect everybody, when they listen to what I th- provide and, and share by way of teaching, to just jump on a bandwagon. I, I don't have a bandwagon. I don't have coattails. I don't have coattails. I don't want people following me. If someone says that, that they discern a gifting, that's fine. If they discern a gifting, that's fine. But if they hear me say something that they think is not quite right, I don't want them shutting me down. And I don't want them believing it if they feel that it's not quite right. But I don't want them necessarily picking up and going and leaving and saying, well, I'm not going to fellowship with them anymore. Because of that kind of attitude, you're going to find yourself fellowshipping in a place that you're going to be in much more danger than you would be in a place like this. In my view, you're not in danger here. You're not nobody is more open to self you know criticism than I am, maybe almost too much. Sharon was sharing a little bit about evaluating something that she shared and that and you know that's evaluating something that you shared, and I think that's good. Well, I do that all the time, right? But we have to be careful even when we do that because sometimes we can actually become a little bit too self critical but The point is the spirit of forgiveness. So when we're walking and watching our steps, make sure that we are walking in a place where we have a spirit of forgiveness. I mentioned my maternal grandmother earlier, and I almost don't want to talk about her because I think sometimes I talk about her too much. But See, I I love both my grandmothers, but I had more relationship with Grandmother Hodden in the spiritual realm than I did with Grandmother Campbell. I just had more contact with her in that. But the love that she showed was was unlike anything I've ever seen in any other person. With all due respect to everybody, I've never seen it manifested in any other person like I saw manifested in her. And the fourth thing then is this basis for all things. In other words, what are we standing on? Let me read. I'm going to read several verses from Hebrews chapter 9. And please follow along with this because this is foundational. This is foundational to everything. And this talks about redemption through the blood of Christ. It says, But the time came when Christ the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the better things that have come and are to come. And then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with human hands, that is not a part of this material creation, he went once for all into the Holy of Holies that is in heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but his own blood. Having found and secured a complete redemption, for if the sprinkling of unholy and defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the purification of the body, this goes back to Old Testament worship, how much more surely shall the blood of Christ who by virtue of his eternal spirit he has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, purify our consciences from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. Christ the Messiah is therefore the negotiator and mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of of the promised everlasting inheritance. Since a death has taken place which rescues and delivers and redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where there is a last will and testament involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will and a testament is valid and takes effect only at death since it has no force or legal power as long as the one who made it is alive. Even so, the Old Covenant was not inaugurated and ratified and put in force without the shedding of blood. This is the animal sacrifice under the Old Covenant. Had to be the shedding of blood. The question is why? See, you remember Cain was rejected because he brought an offering to God of that which he had grown Abel brought a sacrifice of blood a blood sacrifice and was accepted so it says even so the old covenant was not inaugurated and ratified and put in force without the shedding of blood for when every command of the law had been read out by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of slain calves and goats together with water and scarlet wool and with a bunch of hyssop and sprinkled both the book, the roll of the law and covenant itself and all the people with the blood. And he said this, This is the blood that seals and ratifies the covenant, which God commanded me to deliver to you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the sacred vessels and the appliances used in divine worship and everything then must have the blood applied to it. Everything has the blood applied to it. Now the writer of Hebrews is going to come to his main point, which is the blood of Christ. He says, in fact, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. This, of course, is the atonement of Christ, the shedding of his own blood, the offering of himself as the great high priest. He offered himself as the sacrifice, and that required his death. So, the point then, in terms of watching our step, is to make certain that the blood of Christ in other words the atonement of Christ and his sacrifice has been applied to us and everything that we say and everything that we do because it is only when the blood is applied it's only then that God the Father accepts and receives it. I'm going to share something with you as we close. This is a short video it's only about 5 minutes long 6 minutes long it um it comes to us it's basically a kind of a composite if you like it there there's a movie involving the life of Christ that's used in this video a film involving the life of Jesus and part of this pictures his crucifixion and different aspects of his life but what has happened in this little film is that they have taken a sermon that was preached in 1977 and so the background, the words now you'll see the film involving the life of Jesus but you'll hear a sermon, the very sermon that was preached in 1977 you won't see all of the sermon because it's just segments of it the sermon that was preached in 1977 was called Thy Kingdom Come Thy Kingdom Come And you'll wonder who the preacher is. Let me tell you who the preacher is. The preacher is the man I referred to a few moments ago. His name is Earn Baxter. I'll let you draw your own conclusions in terms of his calling as a preacher. And remember, he accompanied Brother Branham for about five, six years, from about 1947 to about 1954 in that time frame. He did the teaching, preaching. Brother Branham ministered to the sick. And that was the arrangement that they had. And it remained that way for that period of time. So, this is called, He Reigns. Let's watch it and then we'll close. When he
1: came into the world, in the humiliation of the incarnation he started on a route of conquest for some 33 and a half years he overcame and lived an impeccable life his impeccable life was followed by a decisive death As he went to Calvary to endure inexplicable and incomparable sufferings. Sufferings that are veiled in the mystery of the bearing of sin. As he hangs there alone and God reaches down his giant fist and gathers the accumulated sins of men and places it upon him and he becomes the sin center of the universe. What men saw was a man hanging limp. They didn't know what was going on. He was tying a chain around the neck of the demonic world. He was dragging them across the stage of the cosmos. And the Bible said that he was destroying principalities and powers. And when he had done it in the his path, he said it is finished. But I believe that he went down, and through the authority of what he just accomplished at Calvary, he confronted his satanic majesty as he stood at the portals of the world of Hades. And he said to him, I'll take the key. Satan said, no one's ever talked to me like this. And Jesus said, no one ever had the authority to. But he said, as God's king, as the one who has now been given authority, as his delegated sovereign, I'm in charge now. I'll take the keys. Satan handed him the key, and he went over into the unrighteous section, and he opened the door, and he looked in, and he had pronounced that they had been righteously judged for having rejected God's counsel under an old economy, and he shut the door and left them there. Then he turned to the gate of paradise. And he opened it, and he said, come on, let's go. They started up the steps of ascension, and up and up and up they went, until they came in sight of the ramparts of glory, and then this great crowd of Old Testament redeemed who are moving paradise into better quarters cried out, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. The people today... They called you king. They think you were the messiah.
0: Who do you think I am? You are the son of God.
1: But it's not that easy. For angelic protectors hurl back their talons over the ramparts of glory. And they say, who is this king of glory? They said, let's tell him. He is the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the one who has just come freshly from the battlefields of Golgotha. Where single-handedly he dealt a death blow to all of Satan's plans and purposes, where single-handedly he bore the sins of men. He is the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. Now will you lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And again, unsatisfied, they reply, Who is this King of Glory? And they cry back, He is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. He is the one who is in charge of all the angelic hosts. But not only that, he is the king now of a multitude which no man can number. He is God's delegated authority. He is the king of glory. Now swing back those gates and let the king of glory come in. And the gates swing back and he enters in. Steps up to the Father's throne, presents the tokens of his redemption, and the Father said, Sit down, son, at my right hand and reign until thine enemies are made thy footstool. I see the heavens opening. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He said, Sit on my right hand until. And I don't think he's going to get away from the right hand of God until. And he's going to sit there until he's done it from there. He's not going to come and do it from anywhere else. He's going to do it from there. And when he's got it done, then will he turn the kingdom over to the Father. But not until he's done the job that he's supposed to do. So Father said, sit here, son, and you sit here until you finish the job and then hand it to me, finish." You sit here and rule and reign until your enemies are made your footstools. I believe that he has all authority in the earth now. He's not only the king of heaven, he's the king of earth. He's the king of Russia. He's the king of China. He's the king of the United States. He's the king of Canada. The king of Europe Asia,
0: Africa. He's the king of all the earth even now. that sermon that sermon was preached in 1977 I had never heard that sermon until this past week that's the first time I've heard that sermon and it's a very famous sermon apparently but I had not I had not heard it until this past week let's close with a word of prayer together